somehow have to store the idea that if I move it softly, it will not make that noise. <laughs> So tonight we're going to continue our journey through the Bojangas, the um, factors of enlightenment or factors of awakening. And we started with uh, mindfulness, this powerful quality of being aware of what is arising in the moment. And then we also looked at investigation, which is um, a deep looking into what's arising in the present moment in order to discern the truth about what is arising and and the universal truth about life. And then we looked at the energy and effort that we put into our um, practice in order to um, do this inquiry. And these first three bojangas are considered um, causes or inputs. They're places that we um, we uh, input uh, energy, effort, um, and they, they're a cause of the last four arising. And the last four are considered effects, the results of these first three, the input. So the results of our um, mindfulness, our investigation, and our effort. So in some ways, the last four can... Um, they can't be made to happen. They arise out of the first three. So the fourth one is often called joyous interest. Uh, the Pali word is piti. Um, sometimes it's translated as rapture, but that word, I don't know. It's, it could have problems, so <laughs> we'll leave that aside and call it joyous interest or joyful interest. And it's um, this ability to, to open to joy, to take active delight in our practice. And with this joyful interest, our delight in presence is very strong. So there's a joy that comes in this connection with what's happening in the present moment. There's this joy in being fully present. <coughs> I read somewhere that it's um, described as like the joy and delight of little children when they are given candy or a holiday present. (laughs) They're just so delighted, right? So delight is sometimes used with this this bojanga. And this bojanga is said to really um, refresh the mind and the heart. It's quite energizing. You can feel that, that, that delight um, uh, is an energizing quality. And it makes the body and the mind feel lighter. And um, laziness is no longer a problem or a, soft, a sloth and torpor. When this um, quality is present, sloth and torpor are not a problem. So as with all of the bojangas, we notice when this is present, even if it's momentary, even if it's a moment or two, or sometimes it might be for a longer period. 
And it said that um, the characteristic of it is endearing, that everything is dear to us. So a breath is dear to us. A step is dear to us. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever is arising is dear to us. When we have this joyous interest in practice, this joyous interest in what's arising, the hindrances tend to be somewhat at bay. So the forces of desire and aversion and sleepiness and restlessness and doubt, five classic obstacles or challenges with meditation, tend to be um, a little bit at bay. And we have this ability to relax into what's present in the moment. So part of um, this delight is that we're not tormented by the, these five obstacles, that we, that we have uh, some reprieve from these five challenges. There's this Zen teacher named Charlotte Joko Beck. She actually um, has passed away but I love her books because she's really kind of frank, down to earth, um, doesn't hold her punches. She's kind of, she's got that Zen flavor to her, but this is what she writes. She says, How do we know if our practice is a real practice? Only by one thing more and more we just see the wonder. What is the wonder? I don't know. We can't know such things through thinking, but we always know when it's there. And I find it striking that she writes that, because like I said, she's a, she's a, tough, a tough Zen master type, and yet she's talking about piti here, this wonder in life. So this joy comes from the connection over and over again with what is arising and not, as I said, with what it is, with whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. Um, it doesn't matter. It's just that we're, we're there. We're here. That's the joy. And sometimes, um, for some of us, we might remember the first time that we've had this kind of experience in practice. I know that I remember it very clearly. I was... Um, my first, reach, my first long retreat, I was, I was 24, and I was at IMS. I was on a three-month retreat. And um, I remember I was washing dishes at the sink. I was a pot washer, and, uh, and it had snowed outside. I was looking out the window, and um, it was sunny. And I suddenly felt indescribably happy, like happier than I'd ever been in my life. And uh, I was so happy, I started to cry. And um, it wasn't really any particular thing. It was just presence. I was just so happy with just being present. Sometimes the, the joyous interest can be triggered by something beautiful we see. So, you know, maybe the sunlight and the snow kind of triggered it. But it was just that happiness of presence. One person in group today was talking about... Um, that her challenge in, in meditation while we're back up this time is a story about the Dalai Lama. Somebody asked him what was the happiest moment of his life. And he said, this moment, 
this moment is the happiest moment of my life. And so our practice was like, or is, um, can this be the happiest moment of my life? And when Kiti's present, this is true. It's like, this is the happiest moment of our life, whatever is happening. And she was talking about our usual way, and our usual way is so that. I'm going to do this so that then I can do that. I'm going to get this finished so that. And there's kind of this so that, that somehow we have this idea that it's out there. <laughs> what we're looking for is out there. The happiness we're looking for is out there. We'll get to it. Right? We're going to get to it. And with um, this PP, it's like it's, it's not out there. It's just right here. Don't have to go anywhere. There's this uh, uh, reading I like to share sometimes, um, which describes this. And partly what's beautiful about, about this reading is it's um, from a 17 year old who did a team retreat at Animus. We did a number of retreats. And he describes having this moment like this. So the first time I was on retreat at Animus, I hadn't yet been born. I was curled up inside my mother's womb. As a child, I attended the family retreat each summer with my parents and siblings. And as I got older, my parents encouraged me to try the teen retreat, and I agreed to do it. Now at 17, and having been to three teen retreats, I cannot fully express the impact these events have had on my life. I can, however, attempt to describe one particularly meaningful moment. Last summer, during a sit towards the end of the team retreat, I was going about my normal routine, settling the mind, focusing on the breath, and letting ambient sounds come and go. Suddenly, I experienced the first in my meditation practice. I was uncontrollably happy. Feelings of total relaxation, of fullness, of being in the right place and doing the right thing were produced. Experiencing this happiness was extremely powerful. It wasn't about eating a video game or buying a new pair of shoes, but it was pure joy in its simplest form, joy about nothing at all. Added to that was the awesome presence of 60 other teenagers meditating all around me. I was radiating positive energy where one in the hall was. I was at the pinnacle of my spiritual mind altering high. Breathe in, breathe out. And a couple minutes later, I was back to the struggle staying in the present. While this deep happiness only lasted a short time, it was gratifying to know how rewarding it is. It has given me the curiosity to become more mindful on a day-to-day -day basis. But it's taking a deep breath every so often to remind myself of now, when noticing subtle scenes of beauty while walking down a sidewalk. So even a few moments of experiencing this kind of joy or happiness can really have a profound effect on us. It can teach us, you could say, the simplicity of joy or the simplicity of happiness or the unconditionality of joy. That's another thing about PT, it's unconditional. It's not dependent on circumstances being a certain way, which is handy in this world. Unconditional joy. So even if it's grief, even if it's a pain in the knee, 
doesn't matter how many experiences come in the future. There's a deep sense of homecoming. We've come home. We're in our home. Sometimes in this kind of um, joy is present, we can't really even tell if it's joy or sorrow. You could describe it as a fullness of heart, fullness of mind. So there's a simple joy, or this joy of simple presence when we can land in the present moment and we're not for at least this moment obsessing about the past or learning about the future. And so this kind of joy can feel like an unburdening. That's, a, that's also part of, of the happiness of it, is this unburdening. And we can see the, the wonder of this uh, amazing world that we've taken birth in. The wonder of a candle flame, the wonder of a sunset, the wonder of another human being, the wonder of the snow falling. Meditation uh, hones our senses for this kind of wonder, not only by helping us to connect with the present moment, but helping us to see it freshly and newly. There's this word called defamiliarization. And so it's the learning how to see something new and fresh. I like your right contact with it rather than through the conceptual uh, mind. So we begin to see less through our concepts and more through our direct experience. That's what makes it fresh and wondrous. Very um, accustomed as humans, it's part of our, uh, part of our uh, conditioning humans to really see the world through concepts. And so the conceptual um, frameworks help us to conserve energy because concepts take a little bit of information and then they fill in the rest of our fill. And just like if you have auto filling on the computer, it can make some mistakes a lot because it just does its best guess. Concepts kind of work the same way. They're true a lot of the time, but they're also kind of limited because they select certain features and they're going once and miss a lot. Um, they often bypass the inconvenient truths. Uh, I'll give you a little example. Um, Well, a classic example is you know, you see you're out at night and start to see something curled up and you see it's a snake, right? And then you see it's a it's a hope, it's a garden hose. That's like a classic example of how the conceptual mind just takes a little bit of information and then figures out what something is. And you know, a lot of concepts would get right, like when I walk out of you know, to the end of the the doorway there and you know, I know it's a door. It looks pretty well. <laughs> you have to have to figure that out every time. 
But she could say that the delight comes in, in the connecting with the truth of things. And when we see the arising of and passing away phenomena through the lens of piti, through the lens of joyous interest, what we see is, or what we learn is to, is to be able to flow with that. And that feels, like I said, like a deep homecoming. To be able to flow with the truth of life, which is the, the arising and passing away of phenomena. And we and, and what we we the delight comes from the what we learn when we can really connect with the arising and passing away now is that we learn um, to let go. That we must let go if we're gonna connect. That we can't connect really intimately with life unless we have um, develop that ability to, to to let go and to be able to um be with flow, with this flow of love. So that's the delight. The delight is that we can actually connect. Charles Rickleback also said, joy is who we are when we're not preoccupied with something else. It comes back to, you could say, that the hindrances are at bay. What's left left when the hindrances are at bay is the, the sense of joyful interest. And related to this joy is this joy when we see our own potential for freedom. When we see that the mind state, for example, the mind state that used to oppress us can be met with mindfulness and kindness, and we don't have to be overwhelmed by it. When we have glimpses of our own potential for freedom in this way, our, um, our, the joy increases in, in, in interest, joyous interest increases and motivates us. Or when we see that a certain thought pattern that's tormented us, and we start to understand that, oh, it's just a thought. It's just thoughts. Like the classic one that so many of us suffer from, I'm not good enough, right? And, and when we can see that, oh, it's just a thought. It's just some um, belief that was conditioned at a certain period of time, and it just pops up and the right conditions come together. When we start understanding that, for example, we feel um, an unburdening that uh, leads to joy. And we see that we don't have to be oppressed by our habitual patterns, our habitual responses. Somebody in one of the groups today was just mentioning, oh, what I've noticed is I just I don't judge people so much anymore. It used to be on retreat, I would you not know, judge everybody almost all the time. I think of all the periods like that. If you meditate in a period of time, you go through a period like that. <laughs> and then um, and then when you say, Oh, I don't do that anymore, it's like, oh brings up a sense of joy related to confidence in our practice.
they get um, very technical about this kind of joy, um, joyous interest. They talk about traditionally there's five kinds of um, ways that manifest, and these are actually quite um, bodily, body somatic experiences. They talk about the hair rising on the arms or flashes of lightning, or um, there's one kind, I just don't get this one. It's called um, uplifting happiness, and it said that um, it's powerful enough that people can levitate and they squirm into the air. But I haven't had that experience yet. I haven't seen anybody else have it. So I'm really curious about why they put that in there in the sutras. There's this whole story of, of this one. Um, woman who was, the Buddha was coming to visit and, and her family wanted to go see the Buddha, but she was pregnant and at those times, um, apparently pregnant women, you know, weren't supposed to go, you know, kept hidden away or whatever. And um, so apparently her parents went off to the gathering of the Buddha and she was sobbing in the distance from, you know, some balcony at the palace or whatever. And, uh, she was so, well, she saw a Buddha in the distance and his crowd, and she was so uplifted. There was so much joy from, from seeing him that she was flying into the air and arrived before her parents. <laughs> so I don't know why they that stuff <laughs> So anyway, if, if, if you're not meditating because of this joy, you just don't worry about it. <laughs> you don't have to go that far. Um, Sometimes PTS um, it's very uh, blissful. This joy can be very blissful and um, can have a lot of physical manifestations that are very sometimes not even so unpleasant because they're so kind of wild. Um, but it tends over time to cry to become quieter. The joy tends to become um, mellow. And it tends to head more towards um, calm, which is the next bojang uh, that we'll hear about tomorrow night. Um, or it tends to head more towards a sense of contentment. So I think of this kind of joyous interest that is just, that is close friend of, of contentment. So what is contentment? Contentment is this feeling of um, being at rest in the present moment. It's the feeling of um, a lack of lack, <laughs> that there's no lack, that we don't, there's nothing needed beyond what is here. Right? That's a sense of contentment. And, and again, I, I experience contentment like a homecoming to the present moment. It's, it's an ability to really like, take that that one step and not want to be anywhere else. Not needing anything added to the experience. Maybe we have moments of tasting this, even moments of tasting this kind of contentment are powerful reminders of the peace that's available to us. So the opposite of contentment would be the feeling that something else is going to make us happy, right? 
were bathed in that um, belief continuum. It's not only a human condition, but it's also one that's very much reinforced in, in our society, reinforced uh, many, many times a day through uh, capitalism, basically advertising, right? That there is something out there, and it's going to make you happy, you just have to find it. This is it. This is what the teachings are. Is this is it? And we can find it right here, right now. Don't need to add anything. I found it on a pongo window that they are liking very much. Um, I like this, I think it describes this. He's superior height over us, pass when the sky closes. Abandon as in love or sleep holds them to their way, clear in the ancient faith. What we need is here. And we pray not for new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in heart and in eye clear. What we need is here. So the presence of um, the presence of this joyful interest. So when it's here, joyful interest, or even its manifestation is contentment. So we can notice um, moments of this. It's like the piece by the teenager. It might not last for long, but it can be powerful to experience. And noticing um, wholesome mind states like this helps to temper them. So notice it. Sometimes I think we might miss these kinds of moments when they're actually here. So recognizing them. It's important. So how do we notice the absence of this? Um, the child that four tasks, right? Nonsense, present nonsense, absent. So perhaps we would notice that it's absent when meditation uh, starts to get a little bit too tedious. Or it gets to be a little bit too much of a chore. It gets to be um, too much drudgery. Right? So sometimes we can get a little bit too uh, serious in our meditation. Then we can even get blamed about it, right? There's a um, poem from Hafiz, a very um, famous Sufi mystic. He does use the G word. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> what is the difference between your experience of existence and that of a saint? The saint knows that the spiritual path is a sublime guest, a sublime chess game with God. And that the bride has just made such a fantastic move that the saint is now continually tripping over joy and bursting out in laughter and saying, I surrender. Whereas, my dear, I am afraid you still think you have a thousand serious moves. So 
So sometimes we think we have a thousand serious moves, right? Um, yeah, when we, get to, when we start to find that there's um, a lack of joy for a long period of time, I know that there are times, it's okay that there are times when you're meditating and you don't feel a lot of joy. But if it starts to go too far the other way, then it starts to feel too serious or too much like a chore, too dreary. It's important to think of how we can refresh the mind and heart. What will um, bring more balance um, back to the mind and heart? What brings some more genuine interest back? So you can say that the doorway to joyful interest is just plain interest. So what helps the interest come back? Sometimes on retreat, we need that kind of balance. We might need to get outside. And today I was standing in the middle of walking, most of the most difficult minutes in the middle of the lake. And um, where I live in Massachusetts, uh, I live in the hill area, so we don't get kind of the vast expanse of sky that you get here. Even the hills make some difference. And the lakes tend to be smaller than this lake. Um, so just I just felt such um, joy in just the expansiveness of the sky. It's very refreshing. Um, so sometimes we need something like that to to refresh the energy and to um, help us put down some of those chest pieces, those claws and serious moves that we have. Or sometimes it. Um, it's not working in the winter, but at Insight Meditation Society, I'll tell you, we used to go on sit and get the chipmunks for them. Because they're so cute. I guess we have more sound here. I can hang out in a certain place and it's so easy to find. There's a lot of them. So just watching chipmunks, like, it can refresh us. And in some ways, we're getting into um, uh, the, the, the third uh, task, what leads to the arising of um, joyful interest, or what can help with the arising of joyful interest. And the number one approximate cause that's mentioned for every one of the books, and this is, notice it when it's present, right? So, when it's present, be aware of it. But the time place we have a bunch of um, ideas. So much we can probably relate to others, maybe not. I'll just mention a few. Okay. Reflecting on the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Sometimes the Sangha, you know, thinking of other yogis, sometimes um, other yogis uh, inspire us and can lead to that kind of joyful interest. Right? Sometimes they'll say something in a group meeting. And it'll be like, oh, that's great. And, uh, and uh, so we can see how that might inspire kind of more interest for us. One that I think is interesting is um, it said that re- recollecting our own uh, ethical conduct leads to joyous interest. Isn't that interesting? And recollecting our own generosity. So to lead to joyful interest. 
So really just recollecting our own goodness, right? We're even going back to kind of the metta, remembering our own goodness. So we get a sense of joy when we remember our commitment and our harming. So our ethical conduct is seen. And we get a sense of joy when we remember acts of kindness or acts of generosity coming from the stars. Some people find joy from the chanting when we do the chanting. We didn't used to do much chanting early on when um, we when this tradition came with uh, our teachers from Asia. We didn't do a lot of chanting, but we learned that, that it's, that's helpful for people. It brings joy, it brings lightness, it brings inspiration, it refreshes the mind.
if our practice starts getting dull, maybe we want to bring in a little more investigation. We want to look a little bit more deeply into what's happening. We want to raise the energy level somehow. Or we bring in some joy. All of that to balance it. I'd like to end today with, um, in, the, in the interest of, in the interest of judgment, I guess, um, with another, my last story that I have of Avon and Adam, a male friend and a aunt friend. And it's a story about homecoming, and I, I think it's related to this last, uh, this agenda of people or choice interest. It was in the afternoon that Avon and Edward came upon a house. Avon stared at Avon's man, stared at it for a long time. How strange, he said, we've traveled so far and yet there's a house that seems just like my own. Edward became excited. Avon, he whispered, this may very well be a magic house. And look, cried Avon, there's something, here's something even stranger. Not only does this house remind me of my own, back where it came from, but here is a sound which says, Avon Smith. Avon said ever breathlessly, this is not just magic, but powerful magic. With extreme caution, the two creatures pushed open the door and peered into the house. Avon became more astonished. It even looks like the inside of my house. Do you know something else odd? Edward wanted to know. The tables and chairs, said Avon, are just the way I like them. Even the pictures on the wall are to my fancy. Oh, Edward, someone has gone to a great deal of trouble. <laughs> it's perfectly clear to me, said Edward. Now I know why we have had so many extraordinary adventures. All the time traveling right along with us was an invisible magician. An invisible magician said Avon surprised. How stupid we never tell noticed. This house proves that I'm right, said Edward. No doubt that invisible magician took an old castle and turned it into a house which you would like. I'm grateful and flattered, said Avon. Edward smiled. Nonsense, it has nothing to do with kindness. He owes it to you. I don't see why. Hey, Avon, just how many snails do you know who believe in magic adventures? Just myself and you, but of course you're not a snail. Exactly, said Edward. The invisible magician is really showing his gratitude for your believing. Suddenly, Avon felt very happy. Just think, he said, to go on a long trip, to come so far from where you live, and then to come upon a magic castle which has all the comforts of home. Oh, Edward, this has been the most exciting adventure of all. I believe I'm happy at last. And that's the end of the adventures of Avon and Edward. Come home. That's it for me. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.